Wednesday, February 7, 2018. This is Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. Today we're going to get a little serious. We have John Preston, a Marine Corps veteran who uh, has been uh, pursuing a career in music. He and I met at the Military Influencers Conference um, late last year, and him and I started talking, and when I I learned more about his his career, his life, and I knew that we we had to have him on. Suicide prevention and veteran suicide is obviously, it's it's a big deal to everybody in the space. It's it's a priority uh, for Secretary Shulkin and, and, and VA. John just talks about some powerful stuff. He talks to us about uh, his own emotional mental health issues. He touches on his brother's suicide, uh, his father's passing, the struggles of the music industry, and, and, and juggling all of that with being a full-time firefighter, being a husband, and, and, being a, and having a family. Without further ado, this is Marine Corps veteran John Preston. Getting out of the military, I was missing this camaraderie. It's frustrating when you try and talk to people that don't understand. I would be talking, but I wasn't there with them. You just feel so alone. I still had the anger, I still had the addictions, but we didn't talk about that. Came to a point where it's like, okay, I really need to talk to somebody about this. Family more or less encouraged me, you know, go to the VA, you're a veteran, see what they can do to help you. When you have family, friends, when you have the facilities like the VA and the Vet Center, it gives me, it gives others encouragement to keep moving forward. It's okay to go get help. It's okay to talk to people because it takes true strength to ask for help. Talking with with other veterans was the best method for learning the roadmap to success. Hear veterans' real stories of strength and recovery at maketheconnection.net. Yeah, I'm good to go. I'm ready to You're rock. Good to go. All right. All right. Good. Very well. John Preston, sir, it's it's a pleasure to to have you on uh, Born the Battle. You and I met at the uh, I can't remember what the official title of the. We were affectionately calling it Mill Blogging, right? Um, we met at the Mill Blogging event. Was it the Military Influencers Conference? That's right. There you go. You there nailed it. it. You, yeah, you, there you it is. It. You didn't yeah. even have to go any further. You you hit it. Yeah. Um, and you and I spoke for a little while um, on one at one of the social events, and it was clear to me that we, I needed to bring you on the podcast and talk about your service and, and, and your music. Um, so we're going to start this where we start every interview, John, and that is um, we're going to go to the one thing that we all have in common, and that is the decision to join the United States military. Bring us back to that decision for you. Oh, wow. Uh, that, that's, that's a fun question because it didn't start it. 17, 18 years old. It started at probably seven, eight years old. Um, I came from a family of Marines. My father, both my brothers, nobody was a, a lifer. You know, it was four and done, but there was a lot of Marine Corps pride in the family in general. I remember random nights where I'm sitting on the couch trying to watch whatever dad's watching and maybe I'll see a, you know, a boob or something. But <laughs> I, And dad would go into his room and come back out with, with his purple heart. And he would present it to me and like, show it to me. Like, you know, this, this is from the war in Vietnam and uh, this is super special to me. And it was just that pride that my father had in that, you know, that pride that 
as a son, you're always searching to get your dad to love you that much, you know? So, um, I knew at a very young age that, that no matter what I did in life, if I failed, if I succeeded, if I put that title Marine across my chest, if I wore, you know, that Eagle globe and anchor that my father was going to be proud of me. And, and, and I had to do it no matter what. And I watched both my brothers do it. I went to Paris Island and watched them graduate. It went through the whole thing. So I had no other thought or choice in mind. I think I totally messed around through all of, the, the entire high school period of life because I already was focused on what I was going to be doing in the future. And that was become the United States Marine, Semper Fi. Exactly. Um, that's it, right. Stomping, you know, the whole deal. <laughs> um, so tell, so born the battle, we recognize that um, every military service member experiences some sort of challenge inside of their service and and whether whether it's literal combat or another difficulty or sacrifice or challenge that is made during service uh tell us about a way that you uh that you bore a battle a challenge inside of your service during your service um there's a there my my service there's a lot of things that happen that actually I grew up pretty fast, I think, once I got in, and I, I, I don't think I was spoiled. I grew up in a, you know, below mid-income family. Watched my father work several jobs to to keep us even having food on the table, and kind of came from that world of work hard and you'll get something. But I had lost that in my teenage years. You know, I was going out and partying and didn't care what my dad said, even with the great advice he had. I again, knew I was going into Marine Corps. So I was trying to get the madness out early. Um, wow. Probably 2002, I think I was in Japan and I was partying way too hard. Um, I got in trouble, ended up, uh, up for NJP and I, I hit this, click in my head something happened you know it, the adult i am today i think started then not at the grinder in paris island but that day in in, in japan the day after i was promoted to corporal um because i literally got in trouble the day i was promoted to corporal <laughs> but uh i chesty polar would be proud Right. Well, you look at all the great Marines, someone like Robert Lecky that wrote the whole, you know, helmet for my pillow and all that series that was in the Pacific. He was a total troublemaker, man. The guy got NJP like eight times. If you read that book, it's unreal. Like he was a total turd. I loved it, but (laughs) I was too. And I, 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 if I looked at my service now, I wouldn't be proud of the Marine. I was for the first two years, regardless of if I picked up corporal or, you know, was doing well, I was doing well through, personality and and whatever i wasn't a good marine i don't think yeah and i had that moment i stood in front of the first sergeant and i was you know prepared to eat an njp and i was honest with him and i i I checked my own personal integrity and i told him exactly what happened and i was very forward about it and first sergeant reached on his desk and he tore up a piece of paper and he threw it in the trash and he said preston that was your your njp and he handed me a page 11 and he said, fill out your page 11, you know, go back. You're still a corporal today, you know, now act like one. So I was given an opportunity by my first sergeant to change my life. And it, it literally did change my life. 
when we went to Iraq and I went to Iraq my last six months in the Marine Corps in general, I was a leader at that point. I, I was driven. I, I was proud to be a Marine then. And I stepped up. I took a, I, I'm a calm guy. I, I was a wireman. I took an infantry squad on and ran the entire react force for a, our, our battalion. So we, we were the, the react that went out. We ran missions every day. We were outside the wire three, four times a day or multiple days at a time when I could have sat in a comm shop, I could have been the Marine that I was before. And my life changed that day that, that I got a second chance. So that was really the most impactful. It wasn't necessarily the time in combat, but if I didn't have that time, I wouldn't have been the Marine that I was in combat. And, and it, it literally altered my life completely. Yeah. Uh, fun fact about your name. I don't know if you knew this. Um, a John Preston, um, from the U.S. Army uh, during the Civil War uh, was awarded the Medal of Honor. So your name has uh, uh, has some prestige in it uh, when it comes to uh, military history. Yeah, that, that's awesome. You know, it's crazy. My father was John Preston, so I already had these huge shoes to fill. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I, I did, when I when I was when I was doing some research on you, I. I uh, you know, of course, the first thing I do right is Google the name and see, see what pops up. And uh, I saw Medal of Honor recipient. I was like, I don't remember him mentioning. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm up to date on current Medal of Honor recipients. Uh, but sure right. enough, Civil War. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, I own Google for my name for probably the first like five pages now. I'm I'm getting better. Like more and more Google on me and then you read about the homosexual writer from the 1980s that was named john press and, and then yes. you start finding you know medal of honor winners and stuff like that yeah. yeah um do uh do you do you have google alerts set for your name i don't i i don't i usually i i won't check it unless new things are coming out because usually two or three uh, things will come off of whatever article came out initially. So I'll kind of check that just so I can post it and get it out. But I, I don't have alerts that come in. Let me say, I, I have, uh, I have Google alerts set for my name. And let me tell you, the other Timothy Lawson's in the world are getting in a whole lot of trouble. They are constantly getting arrested. It's, it's embarrassing. Uh, so I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to do right by the name Timothy Lawson and, and balance that's, that out. That's why I don't want to see it. You know? that's why, <laughs> it's funny. Hey, when I was with Pacific records, they had a Google alert for Pacific records and every week, you know, three or four articles were coming up with me mentioning them. And I'm like, yeah, you see what I'm saying? I'm working boys. You yeah, know, right. Exactly. <laughs> Here's your Google alerts. Keep getting them. <laughs> um, so Preston, let's talk about your, your transition now. What prompted your transition? Uh, music, it, kind of an interesting story in itself. Uh, 2004, we're in Iraq. Uh, we're out on a, a mission, basically opening a school up. We're running a security element for it. And the kids all get around us and surround us, and they start clapping and singing. And they're singing, good, good America, good, good America. So like that that stuck with me. Um, we we jump in a, a open back Humvee and ride back as a squad, you know, and we're all singing this, you know, and we're all clapping and acting a fool. So that night I actually went back to my can, which is, those that aren't familiar with the settings on some bases in Iraq, you basically live in a giant row of mini trailers that we called the cans. Um, 
and I went back to my can and, and I wrote the song to good America, a chain of events happened after writing that song. My master guns heard me playing it and said he wanted to send it to his brother that had a record label. So he told me that I need to record the song. He like actually ordered me basically. And I'm like, Oh my God, Sergeant major wants me to do something. So then we make this video. It, it gets covered by the LA times while we're still in Iraq. And the next thing I know, uh, I'm on the front page of every newspaper in the country. We had put it on a website. This is pre YouTube. So we put it on a website that was johnpreston.us. The first day of that newspaper release, our site shut down because we had over 500,000 downloads of the video on the first day. Whoa. It was insane. Like, so, that's, and that's, that's big numbers, right? For now, like if that happened now, that would be viral, right? That would be... Uh, well, yeah, it's a number that doesn't happen now because yeah. you got to think these were downloads. These were people clicking on the video and waiting the back then, what, 20 minutes for it to download onto their computer. Right. Yeah, yeah it, it, it doesn't happen now. Like You can't sell music like that right now because back then, newspaper was still king. If you front page the newspaper, then people would go online to look. Now it's a click world, you know, where you don't sit on their their kitchen table for an entire day. They see you for a second, they move to the next thing. They see you for a second, they move to the next thing. So today's marketing is much more challenging as far as actually getting people to go and click on your on your video or your your iTunes or whatever. Yeah, so very different. But that happened. I, I was mind blown. I was just, you know, it, I, I'm this farm kid from Kentucky. I never expected that I was going to have national recognition. I, I was at war, fighting a war. I really didn't think past that. And here we were. I've, I've got media contacting me. I have record labels contacting me. And I had a reenlistment paper sitting with, with uh, the officer ready to go. And I threw them out. I was done. I, I was like, I'm going to be a rock star. Forget this. You know, so <laughs> um, I got out. I, I, I signed with the record label. Then I recorded good, good America and another song and it went around the country, did a, you know, media spots in some different places. Didn't really know the business or how to work it then. And it, it fizzed out six months later. I'm, you know, signing a termination with the label and moving to San Francisco out of LA because I was just done with LA and done with music in general. You know, like, it, it was super disheartening at that point, transitioning out of combat, <laughs> transitioning into alcoholism and transitioning, losing the one thing that maybe was my only lifelong dream that I had of success in the music industry. Yeah. You know? So it was actually a really rough time because the transition was never good. It, it was all these things happening music wise, but what I envisioned it when I left Iraq, it was, it, it never hit that, you know? Uh, yeah. Let's, uh, I mean, you may have mentioned, uh, or touched on it, uh, there, but we, we know a lot of veterans that uh, when they transition out, they experience some sort of, uh, emotional crisis or dilemma is that is that anything that you, um, I mean, what, what sort of experience did you have on that with whatever you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, I didn't realize I was dealing with post traumatic stress. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know what it was. They, 2004, there there wasn't really a word for it yet, you know. And uh, I was, <laughs> I was, I was drinking the blackout, crying my eyes out some nights. Yeah, 
just uncontrollably dealing with the things I was dealing with and having no idea that I was dealing with it. You know, and survivor's guilt. I had a friend that had his legs blown up. I had, you know, a, a friend that was killed in, in combat and like this whole thing that I was going through, I thought I was alone in it, you know? So I put it in a bottle and I was fortunate that I'd moved to LA. So all my friends that were still in were in 29 Palms. They were at my apartment during the weekends, living with me, hanging out, spending the night. So I still had Marines clothes for the first six months. Um, but that, that transitioning out didn't stop until I would say I was 25 when I decided I was going to go to college and become a firefighter and change my life. And at that point, I was a total drunk. I was completely, you know, going through these anxieties and things that I didn't know where it was coming from or why it was coming from. And it wasn't until 2014 when I aggressively went back into the music industry and started educating myself on post-traumatic stress, educating myself on veteran suicide, that I understood that I was even going through it. Because I thought, I've got my stuff together. I'm good. I can handle my drunk. Yeah, I can handle my problems. But the reality was, I was no different than the people that I was attempting to help at the time. Yeah, there's this, there's this weird facade, and it's something that I've experienced as well, and I know other veterans have, have too, that it feels like if you enter a stage of alcohol dependency, so long as you're aware of it, it feels like you have a grip on it, right? Like, you acknowledge, mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm, I have a drinking problem. That's what's happening right now. And it, it seems like it, it clearly won't turn into anything worse than this because I'm aware that it's, it's happening. And it's, uh, I think we fool ourselves into believing that we have control of so over something that we're admitting we're dependent of. Yeah, and, and you like it. You know, yeah. you like getting obliterated. Like, the only thing I didn't like was waking up in the morning and trying to retrace my steps from – what happened between this hour and this hour, you know? And it, it was like getting obliterated was cool. And I, I just recently talked to someone that, that is in basically the same boat I was in and said, I love getting hammered. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, all right, I can't fix you until you decide you don't. Yeah. And that, that's the whole thing. It doesn't matter how much I love you or care about you you first have to take your mind and say, I, I need to fix this because it's affecting my family. It's affecting the people around me. And, and honestly, for me, until my own brother took his own life, it, I wasn't changing. I wasn't going to change. And I, I was ready to quit the music industry because I felt like a fake because I was a drunk and I was telling other people to fix themselves. And it took a, uh, I, I'll say the word revelation, but it wasn't a revelation. It was a tragedy that created a revelation for me. It took my own brother's suicide for me to say, I could die any day and leave my family the same way he just left his. And it is selfish. And it is just like suicide because I know that this is a problem. I know that I've woken up blacked out in the middle of New York City saying, where am I? I know that I've woken up blacked out in the middle of San Jose in a ghetto saying, where am I? <laughs> And I couldn't have, I, I, I made it through those nights because fate and the universe and God kept me safe, but that, that couldn't last forever. You know, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, um, you know, I, I do, uh, I've 
contributed a lot of, of my efforts uh, and energy to the space of veteran suicide as well. Uh, in fact, I, I just got back from Long Island where I did a series of talks there. And, and one thing that I try to emphasize to people when we're talking about veteran suicide is, it's a, you know, we definitely – while we want to prevent veteran suicide, it's important to realize that, um, you know – a, you know, veterans die through, like, through the same or with the same symptoms that veterans are also dying by suicide with, right? And so, you know, like you mentioned, you, through this, this bet, this behavior and this dependency, you could have died and we wouldn't have really looked at it the same way we would as a veteran suicide, but th- those two things ultimately stemmed from the same uh, symptoms and ended with the same tragedy. If I would have died in my 20s, even early thirties from drinking, it would have been suicide because there was a point in time where I didn't care if I woke up. I think that that mentality probably changed once I had my son. There were several nights where I'm, I'm on the break of blackout and I'm literally thinking to myself, I really don't care if I wake up. Like I, 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 life would be fine if I wasn't here. And, uh, and, I mean, that's the campaign we run now. That's what I've uh, hashtagged in, uh, like, since my brother died. Life is not better without you. And that's very specific. There's a reason. Because I felt that way. And him, and, and now hearing things that I didn't know, but now hearing things from his wife and, and different people, he used to joke and say, you'll just be better with the insurance money. You know, Everything would be better if I'm gone. I didn't know he was going through that because we lost our father six months prior to his death. And we were all pretty messed up. I explained to you early how much of a hero my father was to me. He wasn't just that to me. He was that to both of my brothers as well and was our best friend. We lost our best friend rather than confiding in each other. We all kind of went into our own spirals. I was a, I, I was a drunk again. It was insane. I was, you know, I, here I am a successful firefighter, a successful musician, and I couldn't keep my hands off the bottle. I, we released day to night, I think two months after my dad passed. And I did not put the effort into that release that I should have. Yeah. It is like, it was just a terrible time in life. And I didn't realize that my brother was going through the same thing I was. And because he was my older brother and because I'd always looked up to him, I didn't realize he wasn't as strong as me. And I didn't realize that he was going to completely break. And I beat myself up for that still. And I shouldn't. And, and, and people say, you know, you can't do that. I can because I wake up every day, a little brother without a big brother. Yeah. And terrible, terrible, terrible thing. So it's why we continue to say life is not better without you, man. I'm living in the crumbles of that. I'm living in the mess of that. My family is a wreck and it's almost two years now. It'll be two years in January and there's never going to be a new normal. We, we have to find it, but it may take an eternity to find what normal is now. You know, um, you know, one of the things that I, I harp on um, when I talk to people about the subject is uh, is importance, right? And and how how important it is that um, that we understand and believe that we matter, 
Um, and I, th- I think that that line that you that you've repeated a few times, "Life is not better without you," is is a great uh, way to describe that. I'm I'm going to borrow that if I may, because that's that's a really great way. Hey, to, please to, do. Yeah, yeah. And and that's the whole thing. And it, it's what I tell other veterans it, because people reach out a lot now. You know, it, what am I supposed to do? How do I do this? I I don't want to be here. Yeah, you know, these are, these are things that I hear weekly. Find a purpose, you know, find a purpose. When we were in the, in the military, you know, we had purpose. There was always a mission to be accomplished. There was always something to do. Even if it was wake up at 5 a.m. to go PT, that was your mission for the day. And find your mission in life. I'm not successful because God gave me some gift. I'm not successful because, you know, I was given some kind of special advantage. I, I came from a below middle-class family with a father that worked multiple jobs to keep food on the table. I'm not special because of that. I'm not successful because of that. I'm successful because I've found my mission just like I would have as a Marine and I'm getting it accomplished, you know, and you figure out everything that you can do to be successful. And it feels good. I promise. Like I used to send out 200, 300 messages a night to different reporters, writers, whatever. And I would get one or two back, but those one or two were a TV appearance or an article written about me. And I swear to God for all the work it took, it felt amazing. Yeah. And it still feels amazing today. You and I talking feels amazing because this is work and effort towards the actual future of accomplishing my missions. So John, let's um, man, John, you are just nailing this interview. By the way, um, uh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do it a bunch. You know. <laughs> yeah, and, but here's and here's and here's what's great is I, I've I've you know you and I have have both done uh, plenty of our own um, endeavors in in speaking and interviews stuff like that, and I can tell that you have. I can tell that there's parts of what you're talking about that you are just well rehearsed in and that you're also just throwing in what's coming to mind. And I think that's the perfect blend um, because it, then it doesn't become too routine and it's still each interview still has that one little nugget that's still sort of unique to that interview. And, and I appreciate your approach to that. Yeah. And the stories are the stories, man. You know, I can't, I can't change or alter what happened in life, but my emotions and how I feel about it on a daily basis changes, you know, and, yeah, I, I watch, say, Gary Vee, right? Gary Vee, you, you watch his different podcasts and you watch his different video vlogs and everything he's doing. He may say almost the exact opposite of what he said the day prior because it's how he feels that day and what's going on. You know, it, if it's a good day, you're, you're going to hear him tell you to hustle and everything will be accomplished. If it's a bad day, he's going to say, don't do that, do this, you know, be humble, whatever. <laughs> and that alters that that's how I, I live. I, I, I don't work off of a script, you know, I, I'm, I'm a writer. I, I create, and that's, that's what happens with interviews as well. You know, it, it's just, it's me and you talking and, you know, this is our comfort zone. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about your music, John. You've, uh, you've teased it, uh, in talking about your story and stuff, but, uh, I want to make sure the audience learns more about your music and who you are as an artist. Um, you clearly have been doing music since, uh, were you, were you doing music before you joined the, the military? Um, it, not like, not as a profession or not as right, like, but like, was it a hobby? Period. Yeah, I, I played, you know, okay. I, I, 
I played guitar probably since I was like a little kid. I picked one up and then I wasn't interested, so I put it back down. And then right before, probably a year before I went in, I, I had a, a friend that played guitar and we created our own little two-man band, you know? Yeah. And uh, that, that, that was some cool times because it was just learning how to write and just learning how to, you know, play guitar and all of that. So it, it, I did a little before, yeah. Okay. And so um, you said you transition now, you, you get the, the deal with Pacific, you leave Pacific, you, you pursue music again on your own. Um, you know, where, where are you now? How would you describe where you are in your career now as far as uh, being an artist and with what, you, what you're trying to produce now, I mean, what's coming up in, in, uh, that, that's sort of on the horizon? Um, and then you can provide any context that, that's necessary to, to explain that. Yeah, yeah, I wrote a song about my dad when he passed. Um, I can't wait to record it, honestly. But um, and it, this was our dream, my father and I, and and during the early parts of the repursuit in 2014, uh, all the way to when he passed, we talked every single day about it, and we talked about strategy, and we talked about you know sound and and music history, and just everything we could to to make this goal possible and real. And I wrote this song about my father to say, I know you're still with me now, dad, you know? And it says, you know, we're standing on the doorstep of a dream, you know? And it, it repeats that multiple times. I'm still standing on the doorstep of a dream, but now I'm walking through the door and that's where we're at right now. I'm walking through the door. <laughs> it's amazing. Like uh, things that I, I didn't understand or fathom, right? When I first started back, I thought, okay, we get a video and it gets, you know, several thousand views. We're stars, you know, and that happened and it didn't do anything. Okay, we get a video and it gets a half a million views. We're definitely stars. That happened and it, it, it didn't. <laughs> yeah. But what I was, it was persistent and consistent. I have not since 2014 changed our mission on what we're doing. I'm going to save lives period before it was maybe in the very beginning, it was for awareness. Now it's to save lives. My own brother took his own life. I don't want that to happen to anyone. And I am going to freaking bust my ass until it doesn't. And that hasn't changed. So the consistency stays. If you go back and watch a video from 2014, I'm basically saying the same words I say today. Now we are persistent and this is for anyone in any business trying to do anything, build your resume. You can't be the greatest. You can't be a CEO. If, if you haven't worked on the ground level, build your resume. And by the time that I had the ability to approach the major labels and, and that just happened in August, I had, recorded a song and my Pacific actually asked me, you know, what are you doing with this? And it like with no intent to record it or to release it. And I was like, Oh, okay. So I told him, Hey guys, I'm going to shop. I no, no hard feelings, but I'm going to find someone that wants to put everything into me. So I had this resume that was three years long of basically a, a, a different written article about us every single week for, three years, television, 30, 40 appearances, all these things that I had built just from being consistent and persistent. And it, it was crazy. <laughs> like, 
I reached out and they said, what do you have? You know, okay, well, I don't have a hundred thousand Facebook followers. I don't have 50,000 Twitter followers, but what I do have is this. And when they saw that on the resume and they saw how passionate I was about it, I had just executive produced an album. I, I, I EP'd Battle Cry and ran all the press on that. And that album hit 21 on the iTunes rock charts. So my resume was incredible. And then when I got on the phone, I didn't talk about my music accomplishments. I didn't talk about any of that. I talked about what I want to do with what we're doing. And my music isn't patriotic. It's not gimmick music. I read about life. You know, it's something like Superman Falls with my brother passing. Before I'm Gone is my own suicide note. These aren't military songs. They're not, you know based in this one world. Our first EP was a veteran's tribute, but after that, my second EP had one song about the military on it because I'm writing about life. And we're bringing in now, what's happening is we're getting followers from not just, you know, our world. What's happening is we're bringing people in that haven't served in combat, haven't served in the military, that want to be part of what we're doing because they want to help veterans. We're tapping the mainstream. I, I, I've done interviews on headline news. I've, I've, had, I've been in People Magazine. We're, we're doing something that I've imagined was possible, but I didn't know how it was going to work. And now, I mean, today, right now, uh, we are using Universal Music Group's uh, distribution, and our video is in the Hard Rock Cafe. It's in Dave & Buster's. It's in video stations all over the country, different shows. You know, I got a list of shows that we were on the other day and I like, I, I got, a, I got emotional, man. Uh, 30 different shows somewhere around 200 or 300 different cities that they're going to be playing in. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> we're really doing it. Yeah. You know, holy crap. You know, we have a, a campaign that, that's coming up a, maybe early next year. It, it, it's in all, everything's in talks right now, but it's happening and it guarantees us a spot in the billboard top 100. Like it's a mainstream radio t campaign. I'm already in my head envisioning getting in the car and turning on the radio and hearing my own song on there. And this is a different level. This is a whole different world. And we're finally getting the opportunity to reach the people that I've wanted to reach because I want everyone to hear our message, not our community. I love our community. Our community needs to help we need to be a very squeaky wheel. You look at any minority group, any anything in the country, the louder they squeak, the more is actually done. My goal is to walk in Congress and write laws. So I have to be the biggest star on earth in order for that to happen. And we're there. We're, like I said, we're, we're, we've walked through the doorway now. It just got me so thoughtful about my own career. Just the way you were describing all that, I was like, "Man, am I do? Am I, am I this passionate? I feel like I should be this passionate. Am I? Am I this fired up?" Um, let's talk about that. Where do you find a lot of your passion? Like in the like in like in your the mornings where it's hardest to get up. Where where is where do you find your fuel? It, physically saving lives. You know, like you look at okay. Um, as a firefighter, right? I work as a firefighter. I still do that up to, you know, several hundred hours a month. You know, I'm a full-time firefighter for a city. 
there's opportunities in that. Like it, it, when you go in as a firefighter, you always imagine that save where you rescued someone out of a building, you know, and you're running out of the burning building with a child over your shoulder. Those opportunities don't really happen that often, you know, and they do for some people in their career. And that's the highlight of their career, right? That one save. I've had a man that, that coded out was completely dead. We go in, we brought him back to life. I now have dinner with his family at the firehouse every couple months and his, you know, children that are uh, five, nine and 13 cook dinner with me. That's a crazy good feeling, right? That's unreal. Your father was dead. And because of my job, we brought your dad back. Your dad's here with you now. There's so much of that that's not seen in our community because it's suicide, so it's pushed aside. But I get messages from individuals. I was going to take my life today, and your song changed my mind. You know, obviously there's more conversation that goes with that. Usually we get on the phone, we talk, we figure out what they can do and where they can go from there. I put in a lot of effort that nobody sees. My, if I, if this was the 1990s or early 2000s, my phone bill would be through the roof because sometimes it's hours at a time yeah. to get these people on the right track, you know. And it, it's consistent. And now people check in with me and tell me, you know, hey, I'm working for this nonprofit now and I'm doing this. And they they get real vision and real change in their life, and they're they're working towards real goals. Man, that that's the extra push. You know, looking at my own family, I remember at Michael's funeral, I was standing in the back of this giant hall, right? It is a massive church, and this is Kentucky, so all the churches are monstrous. And I'm standing in the back of this church, and I'm looking over thousands of people. All the seats are full, and there's a whole line that wraps around. There was 3,500 people that came to his funeral. A whole line that wraps around to go see him at his casket. And I, I, my vision like blurred around everyone else. And I saw my twin nieces and, and my nephews standing at his casket. That's the extra push. I can't, I can't, I, I can't get through this without being emotional. They don't have their dad anymore. I don't have my brother anymore. That happens 22 times a day in our community. 22 times a day. And people can skew the numbers and say it was a Vietnam vet or it was this or that. Guess what? Then that Vietnam vet, they don't have their grandfather anymore. It's horrible that this is happening. How many days has it been since the shooting in Las Vegas? It's been months, right? Add 22 a day to that since then. It's a huge number. Why are we not addressing this louder than than the the country's allowing it to be addressed right now? I won't let the media suppress me. I won't let that happen. I will make the best music in the world if I have to in order for people to buy in. And that's what got me here. That's what got me signed to a major label was knowing that I had to make that extra push and that happened after Michael's death. How do you how do you how do you manage your time? 
Like, do you have any, do you have any put, um, and this is looking at a little more objectively your, your career, um, and just how you manage it. And I'm just curious because you're talking about a very, very committed day job, right? If, if, if you'll call it that as a firefighter. Um, and then you have this, this career as a musician as well. And I'm sure that you try to make both of them priorities. Um, how do you manage your time? And of course you have a family. So how do you control your time? Um, and able to put the best output possible into each of those efforts? The early part was really hard because I talked about sending all these messages and doing all this work and it laying the groundwork, right? There's a rule now that I have that I still live by until I'm at a place where I don't ever have to worry about anything again while I stop this rule. My phone doesn't go off. I don't turn it off and I don't not check messages. I don't not, you know, because most business things only take a few minutes, you know, interviews we need to set up on a day where I'm off where I can do them. But most business things only take a few to a couple minutes. It could be as simple as, you know, writing a message back with some information and that's it. If you turn that off, then you, you turn off every opportunity that day. You know, if I'm going to take weekends off and I, I had issues with labels and, you know, different people that I've worked with in the past that take their weekends off and I take, I don't stop working. I'm always working. And if I'm laying in bed and I come up with an idea, whether it's writing a song or it's, you know, an idea for marketing, I go to work right away. And the hours, I'm sure, are insane if you added them up because I'm basically never off the clock. You got to find a way to still be a father during that time. You know, you got to find a way to to still be yourself during that time. But to anyone that's trying to make it and they think taking weekends or off is okay, it's not. You know, look at Gary Vee, right? And I go back to this guy because I love his concepts and his mind. Your Your winning hours are between... 5 p.m. and 2 a.m. Yeah, between 5 p.m. and 2 a.m. Because everybody else on earth stops working. You got to work. You got to hustle. You got to keep going and always have your phone on. I love my new label. I love Concord Entertainment because we'll have a phone call at midnight if we're both thinking about something. And that kind of hustle puts you at the next level that kind of lack of fear because I know that I'm going to be successful enough that if I wanted to take three months off down the road, I can. So it's what happens now in that gap of time before we're completely monsters that I can look back and go, yes, I did every single thing I can, you know? So it's always staying alert, always being on it, always keeping your mind in the business and keeping your mind in that world. And then when I go to the fire department, it's in between the bells. I mean, that's kind of our life. You know, you, you do everything that you do for preparedness, checking your gear, doing all that. But then if you're not training, it's in between the bells. And as long as I'm sharp and on fire when I'm in between the bells, I'm good to go. And, and I pride myself on that. I pride myself on being an awesome EMT and, and a hell of a firefighter. Yeah. Um, what skill sets, disciplines, um, or, uh, just experiences did, did you get in the military that you feel like are contributing to your success today? It keep driving forward. You know, like it, that's the Marine Corps way, man. We don't retreat. We, you don't tuck tail. 
I did that back in 2004 or five or whatever, when I left the music industry initially. And I spent my entire time until 2014 uh, living glory days and saying I could have, and I should have, you know, never, never leave yourself an opportunity to say I could have, you know, if you leave yourself an opportunity to say I could have, then there was more that you could have done, you know? So knowing that there is a mission to accomplish in front of me and continually moving forward. And, and that came straight from the Marine Corps. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a, um, give me a veteran or a veteran organization that you're familiar with that has you excited about what they're doing right now. Um, I have a ton that I worked with. I, I'm an ambassador for adaptive vet for stop soldier suicide, Travis Manning foundation, you know, and I, I like to have a diversity of who I'm an ambassador for and it, the Valkyrie initiative and, and each one of them have different things that they do and accomplish. Stop soldier suicide is like straight up. If you reach out to them, they're going to put a caseworker on what's going on. They're going to figure out your exact problems and how we fix it, which I think is amazing because a lot of people will go come to my retreat and you'll be great. No, this person might not fit that category. Yeah. So even a boot campaign right now and they're full there, Morgan Luttrell is doing some crazy stuff there. I don't know if you know, Marcus's brother, Morgan went out and got a doctorate in neuroscience. He wants to know the brain and they start with chemical balances. They're, they're drawing blood and doing full physicals to figure out, if you're even matching the medication that you're on and then they go into the brain and then they go into therapy. So, you know, there's different people that are doing different amazing things, but I have to be completely able to send people to any of them. So I, I get a veteran that, that lost their home. I have adaptive vet, adaptive vet fixes homes for people with injuries. Yeah. It, so there's a ton of organizations out there that are doing a ton of amazing things this is where I think there's a problem. Why, why do we have to go to a nonprofit to get our problems fixed? You know, there, there's an agency that we worked for that promised us that they would take care of us when we left. Why do I need to go to a nonprofit to fix that? You know, so that's why I want to be where I can be to affect change within the VA. And it's not the VA's fault. This is a government issue. There's laws that need to be written in Congress in order for these things to change. They can't just change everything and say, oh, it's great. We fixed it. You know, so I, I still use the VA. If people reach out to me, the first place you send them is the VA because you have to put that check mark in a box. If you don't go there and you don't try, I've seen several successful cases that went through their therapy through the VA and everything went wonderful and their life is good now. That doesn't mean that's going to happen every time because different cities are different as far as the VAs are concerned. But I do a ton of work for a ton of different nonprofits. I'm impressed with drive and motivation and the things that, that each of them individually do. It, a lot of them are ran by us. You know, they're, they're veteran ran. And we all have that same passion of we want to fix our community. And you can tell when they're in it for money. You can tell. I, I usually like the smaller nonprofits better because they're there to work. They're not there for a big paycheck. And everything I do is just to raise some funds for them and also awareness for their actual nonprofit. Yeah. 
I was nodding silently the whole time that you were describing, um, you know, uh, experiences with with VA and um, and the challenges that they have, especially when it comes to like literal policy. You know, like there's 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 laws that actually need to be changed before some improvements can be made. So um, I'm it's I'm always glad to hear other people recognize that. John, it was a real pleasure talking to you. I'd like to play one of your songs at the end of the the podcast. Can I do that? Yeah, for sure. What do you what do you think we should let the people hear? Um, before I'm gone is what's circulating right now. So you can do that. You can do Superman Falls. I would say probably before I'm gone would be the best choice. Okay. Before I'm gone. And, uh, it'll, it'll play at the very end of the episode. So after my, my closing segment, but, uh, you, you want to lead people into that real quick? I'm going to give a complete backstory to it because this song is the world to me. Hey, I, I was one song short of a five song EP. I was told if I didn't have a song, we were releasing a four-song EP. I went into a room, locked the door, 20 minutes came out later with tears and snot and everything pouring off my face, and I had written Before I'm Gone. Um, this song went on to the Your War Is Over EP, but it was a speed recording. We went down, we banged it out, and I was not happy with what came out. Fast forward three years later, Stop Soldier Suicide reaches out to me to do some work together. Um, A asked if we could use Before I'm Gone. I said, yes, but I need to go back in the studio. So I went back in. I recorded with Alan Sanderson, who has Grammys and Platinum Records on his wall. And I made the best version that I could make possible of this song. I wanted it radio ready because I want the world to know everything that I release is going to be in the charts and it's going to be a monster. So I got excited when they first reached out and asked to do that song because of what it means so much personally to me. But also when I lost my brother, I got on a plane and I was flying back to Kentucky. And in my mind, I wasn't playing music anymore. I was done. I had my headphones in. I had my, my, my thing on random and from your war is over EP before I'm gone came on and just the intro of the song, I kind of laughed to myself and I said, yeah. And I talked to my father because I talked to him all the time. And I said, yeah, dad, you're right. We're not done. And this is the song we'll use. I had a proposal for a year and a half before battle cry happened or about a year that was going to be built on before I'm gone. I ended up recording Superman falls and releasing that first so when I got the opportunity to release the song, I completely, you know, it, I, I just, I couldn't wait to see what was going to happen. You know, it, it's already charted and we haven't even ran the big campaigns yet, you know? So this song for me, you know, those movies where you see that moment where they get their life change. This is what's happening in my life right now. And it, it was all built on that was built on those four minutes of me completely releasing my emotions of my thoughts of suicide when I was, you know, first getting out of the Marine Corps all the way up until probably my mid twenties, you know, and it's, you know, I just, I'm in love with the song and so happy that I get to share it with the world now. That's awesome. John, thank you so much for joining me. It was, it's, I'm, I'm really glad that we, uh, not only met at the conference, but we're able to follow up and, and get this. I know a lot of people, uh, this is, I mean, this is a topic that I think everybody in our community takes serious and is, is interested in, um, 
and just being better at addressing. Uh, and it was it was nice to learn about your service, your transition, obviously your music career. And I just really appreciate you coming on and sharing all that. Yeah, I, absolutely, brother. I appreciate you having me on. I, it's always fun to you know talk about this. I know it's emotional and it, it puts me in a different place, but this is our opportunity to create change. Every time we have a stage to stand on, we have an opportunity to change and save lives. VA's round-the-clock hotline can put veterans who are homeless in touch with the resources and support they earned through their military service. Call 877-424-3838. I think this is as good a time as any to remind everybody of the Veterans Crisis Line, 1-800-273-8255, Veterans Press 1. You can also send a text message to 838-255, or you can go to veteranscrisisline.net and use their live chat feature. Today's Medal of Honor citation reading is a short one. U.S. Army, rank of first sergeant, Company A, 1st U.S. Cavalry of the Indian Campaign's Conflict. This was 1872. This is a Medal of Honor citation for Richard Barrett. Citation reads, Conspicuous gallantry and a charge upon the Tonto Apaches. We honor his service. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Episode 84 is in the books. Big thanks to John for for joining us and just being so open and, and vulnerable. You know, He mentioned that he does uh, a lot of interviews, but as we heard, it's not always as easy as, as, the, as just being routine. Uh, so I appreciate him coming on and being so open and honest. As Preston set up at the end of his interview, this is Before I'm Gone, John's single. Uh, you can find it anywhere music is, is played. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.
situation calls for another breakdown, another shot from my flask. Still hear the sounds of the motor round. 